Chapter Twenty Six of the Great Secret by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks dot com. Chapter Twenty Six, for value received. There were exactly twelve people present when I entered the room and took my place at the long table. Six men and six women. Mr. de Valentin sat at the extreme end, and as I entered his face grew dark with sudden anger. He glanced quickly at Mrs. Van Reinberg, who, however, was whispering to her husband, and declined to look. Then he half rose to his feet and addressed me. "'Mr. Courage,' he said, "'this is a little private gathering between these friends of mine and myself, to discuss a private matter in which we are all much interested.' Under these circumstances I trust that you will not think it discourteous if I ask you to withdraw. Your presence might very possibly tend to check free discussion, and, I might add, would be a source of embarrassment to myself. I glanced towards Mrs. Van Reinberg. I am here, I said, by the invitation of our hostess. If Mrs. Van Reinberg asked me to withdraw, I should, of course, have no alternative but to do so. I should like to say, however, that it would give me very much pleasure to be admitted to your conference, and any advice I might be able to offer as an impartial person would be entirely at your service. Mrs. Van Reinberg whispered for a moment with her husband, who then leaned over towards me. Mr. Courage, he said, I believe you to be a person of common sense. I am not sure that I can say the same for the rest of us here. Seems to me I'd like to have you stop, but there is one thing I think should be understood. This is a private meeting of friends. Are you prepared as a man of honor to give your word to keep secret whatever passes here? I was afraid that some condition of this sort would be imposed, but I was ready with my answer. Uh, most certainly I am, Mr. Van Reinberg, I declared, with one reservation, and that is that nothing is proposed which is inimical to my country. I presume that I may take that for granted? You may, Mr. Van Reinberg answered shortly. We are not such fools as to run up against the old country. On the contrary, Mr. de Valentine has assured us that his scheme has a little more than the moral support of your government. Mr. de Valentine intervened with a little gesture of excitement. No, he exclaimed, I do not. I must not go so far as that. I do not mention any government by name. Quite right, Mr. Van Reinberg asserted. But the facts there all the same. I guess you can stay where you are, Mr. Courage. Mr. de Valentin shot an evil glance at me, but he leaned back in his chair with the air of a man who has no more to say. Mr. Van Reinberg, on the other hand, cleared his throat and stood up. Well, he said, we'll get to business. I've a word or two to say first to you, Hickson, and my other friends. We've none of us been idlers in the world. We started out to make money, and we've made it. We're probably worth more than any other five men in the world. We can control the finance of every nation. We can rule the money markets of every capital in Europe. Personally, I'm satisfied. I guess you are. It seems, however, that our wives aren't. I'm sorry for it, but it can't be helped. They want something that dollars in the ordinary way can't buy. This scheme is to meet that case. It was my wife's idea, my wife's and Mr. de Valentin's between them. I take it that if you go into it, you'll go into it for the same reason that I do, for your wife's sakes. I want to make this clear, for I tell you frankly, I think it's the biggest fool's game I've ever taken a hand in. I'm proud of my name, if my wife isn't. If anyone got calling me Monsieur Le Duc or anything, 
I guess my fingers had itched to knock him down. If our wives, however, won't be happy till they hear themselves called Madame La Darche, I suppose we've got to take a back seat. Mr. de Valentin here says that he's the rightful king of France. I know nothing about history, but no doubt he's right. He says, too, that in their hearts the French people want him on the throne, and with money he says he could find his way there. The bargain is, I understand, that we find the money, and he establishes our wives well amongst the aristocracy of France. He asks for twelve million dollars, that is, two millions each. If my wife asks me to, I shall put my lot down, much as I should buy her the Tsar of Russia's crown if it came on the market and she wanted it. It's for you to say whether you want to come in. If you want to ask any questions, there's Mr. de Valentin. He's come over to fix the thing up, and I guess he's prepared to give you all particulars. There was a little murmur of conversation. Mr. de Valentin rose to his feet. My friends, he said, Mr. Van Reinberg, in his very plain words, has put before you the outline of my plans. It is not very much more that I can tell you beyond this. The Army and the Navy are loyalists. I have friends everywhere. They wait only for an opportunity. When it comes, all will be easily arranged. Those who are indifferent, I bribe. There is already a great secret society in both services. One whole Army Corps is pledged to me. Look, then, this is what happens. A great power, Mr. de Valentin looked steadfastly at me, a great power one day makes a demonstration against France. It is a bolt from a clear blue sky. For my country, alas, is always preparing but never ready for war. The press, I bribe the press, those who are not already my friends, is hysterical. It strikes the note of fear. It attacks vehemently the government. The moment of war arrives. All is confusion. I appear. I address the people of France. I appeal to my fellow countrymen. Put your trust in me, I cry, and I will save you. The power of whom I have spoken stays its hand. Its press declares for me. The government resigns. I march boldly into Paris at the head of the army, and behold, it is finished. The people are at my feet. The crown is on my head. Not a drop of blood has been spilt, but war is averted and a great new alliance is formed. France takes once more her place amongst the great nations of the world. The man was in earnest beyond a doubt. The perspiration stood out in little beads upon his forehead. His dark eyes were on fire, his tone and manner tremulous with the eloquence of conviction. There was a little murmur from the women, a soft whisper of applause. Monsieur, I said quietly, you have spoken well and convincingly. Pardon my presumption if I venture to ask you one question. The power of whom you have spoken, is it England? He faced me bravely enough. Sir, he said, you ask a question which you know well it is impossible that I should answer. It is not for me to betray a confidence such as this. But to those who are curious, I would say this. Which is the power, think you, most likely to play such a magnificent, such a generous part in the history of the nations? Answer your own question, Mr. Courage. It should not be an impossible task. Six ladies leaned forward in their places and looked at me with flashing eyes. It was a suitable triumph for Mr. de Valentin. And yet I knew now all that I desired. Dimly I began to understand the great plot and all that it meant. 
Mr. Van Reinberg looked across the table. "'Well, Stern?' he asked. "'My husband's check is ready,' the lady at his side answered quickly. "'I guess the prince can have it right now if he chooses.' "'And mine,' five other ladies declared, almost in a breath. Mr. Van Reinberg smiled. "'Then I guess the deal is fixed,' he remarked. A dark-haired little woman sitting at my right hand leaned forward towards Mr. de Valentin. She wore a magnificent crown of diamonds and sapphires, which at once graced a royal head and a collar of diamonds which was famous throughout the world. "'I'd like to know,' she said, "'are we to choose our own titles? I've fixed on what I want.' Mr. de Valentin rose in his place. "'My dear lady,' he said, "'that would not be possible.' To Mrs. Van Reinberg alone I have been able to offer the name she desired. That I think you will none of you object to, for it is through Mrs. Van Reinberg that you are all here tonight. For the rest I have taken five of the great names of France, of whom today there are no direct descendants. It is for you yourselves to say how these shall be allotted. Five ladies looked at one another a little doubtfully. Mr. Van Reinberg glanced at me, and there was a shrewd twinkle in his keen eyes. "'I should think you had better draw for them,' he suggested. "'Mr. de Valentin can write the names down on pieces of paper, and Mr. Courage, as a disinterested party, can hold the hat.' Mr. de Valentin shrugged his shoulders. His composure was not in the least deserved. Whatever he may have felt, he treated the suggestion with perfect seriousness. "'If the ladies are agreeable,' he declared, "'I myself am quite indifferent how it is arranged. As regards the money,' I shall give to each an undertaking to repay the amount in treasury notes within a year of my ascending the throne of my country. My neighbor in the diamonds was still a little disturbed. Say, she inquired, what do these titles amount to, anyway? What shall we be able to call ourselves? Either Madame la Comtesse or Madame la Marquise, Mr. de Valentin answered. Madame la Marquise, she repeated, that's the one I should like. So should I, nearly all the ladies declared in unison. Mr. Van Reinberg laughed softly to himself. For the first time he seemed to be enjoying the situation. There's nothing for it but the hat, Mr. de Valentin, he declared. Mr. de Valentin bowed. If everyone is agreeable, he said stiffly, drawing a sheet of notepaper towards him and beginning to write. No one seemed quite satisfied. But, on the other hand, no one had any other suggestion to make. Mr. Van Reinberg leaned forward in his chair. He was beginning, apparently, to take a keen interest in the proceedings. Of course, he said softly, the names could be read out, and if any of you took a special fancy to any of the titles, we could have a sort of auction, the proceeds to go to the fund. Mr. de Valentin turned towards him with a stony look. Only his eyes expressed his anger. I presume that you are not in earnest, Mr. Van Reinberg, he said in a low tone. Such a course is utterly out of the question. Mr. Van Reinberg scratched his chin thoughtfully. Mr. de Valentin completed his task and handed the slips of paper over to me. I shall ask Mr. Courage, he said, rising, to distribute these through the agency of chance. For myself I will, with your permission, retire. I will only say this to you, ladies, and to my friends. I hope and believe that it will not be long before I shall have the pleasure of meeting you under very different circumstances. You will be very welcome to the court of France. I trust that together we may be able to revive some of her former glories, and I do believe that your presence amongst our ancient aristocracy will be for her lasting good. 
So Mr. de Valentin left the room a little abruptly, and I thought it the most graceful thing he had done. I shook up the slips of paper which he had given me in a hat, and handed them round. There was an intense silence, and then a perfect babble of exclamations. Marquis de la Frude, my, isn't that fine! Comtesse de Saint-Estienne, well, I declare! Comtesse de Vinoy, say, Richard, are you listening? Madame la Contesse de Vinoy, great, isn't it? Mrs. Van Reinberg smiled upon them all the well-satisfied smile of one whose guerdon is deservedly greater than these. The little dark woman turned towards her abruptly. "'Tell us yours, Edith,' she exclaimed. "'Don't say you're a princess.' Mrs. Van Reinberg shook her head. Unconsciously her manner was already a little changed. She was, after all, a swan amongst these geese. "'We are to have the duchy of Annonay,' she answered. I suppose I shall be Madame le Duché. Monsieur le Duc touched me on the shoulder. Here he exclaimed in my ear, Let's get out of this. End of chapter 26. Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.